The Lifestylist, episode 186, featuring Kim Anami. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. If you're someone that pays attention to the health industry at all, even remotely, you know that CBD is all the rage now. And I love that. I love the hemp plant. I love the cannabis plant. I think it's a great medicine that can be used for a number of different uh, things that ail us humans. However, the CBD market is crazy saturated and it's really difficult to find a brand you trust. I've been shopping around for quite a while myself. People send me stuff all the time and some of, it, some of it's been good and um, some of it not so much. I finally settled on a brand I really like and they're called Cured Nutrition. Uh, I like them for a couple of reasons. They're legit organic, no funny business, no pesticides, no funky fertilizers or shady stuff going on in their growing process. It's all grown in Colorado. It's all legit organic. Okay, so we've got that. But they don't only make oils. See, a lot of the CBD companies are great, but they just make these little vials of oil. And if you're not someone that wants to like put some weed sort of tasting oil in your mouth, you might not be into that. Now, I personally like that taste, but I also like to eat their CBD infused foods and spices and things like that. So these guys are veterans and pioneers in the fitness industry, and they're absolutely out to educate health and fitness minded people about the benefits of hemp and to make CBD accessible to all. And why it's so accessible is because it's so easy to eat this stuff. Uh, if you get their cookie dough or you get any of their different spices, uh, it makes it really easy to just kind of make this part of your daily routine. And if you want to break out the big guns, they do have the concentrated oils and gel caps if you want to do that uh, on a very stressful day or to encourage deeper sleep or whatever the case may be. So I want you guys to check out Cured Nutrition. Awesome company, very well branded, just super legit top to bottom. Very stoked to be working with them. Their website is as follows curednutrition.com forward slash the lifestylist that's curednutrition.com forward slash the lifestylist and of course if you use the code lifestylist at checkout you will save 10% off all right here's the deal guys i've been into the health and wellness scene for 22 plus years now i've seen a lot of different supplements come and go a lot of different devices and modalities come and go one that i found last year in 2017 I feel is never going to go and that's called red light therapy or photobiomodulation. You can go back to episode number 169 of the Lifestylist podcast and learn all about it where I interview the founders of Juve. Not just about the Juve products that I'm going to tell you about right now, but just about this therapy altogether. Uh, there are thousands of clinical studies on red light therapy. So if you're serious about your health, it's hard to ignore that research and hard science. This is not woo-woo stuff. I'm into some woo-woo stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But this is seriously effective treatment. Okay, so whether you're trying to improve your skin, reduce joint pain, get better sleep, 
or really improve your testosterone production, which has been one of the major benefits for me, then red light therapy with the Juve is going to be a major investment in your health. Now, I use my Juve religiously, but I really miss it when I travel. I mean, the thing's like five feet tall or something, so it sits here in my office when I'm gone, and I really miss it. <laughs> I want to hug my Juve. So that's why I'm super pumped about their new handheld device. It's called the Juve Go, and it gives you all the same Juve red light power, but it fits in the palm of your hand, so you can take it anywhere. And you can also kind of use it, you know, spot use it, like in certain areas. Like for guys, I'll just give you a little hint. If you're trying to raise your testosterone, you use it down in the nether regions. I know it sounds weird, but that's what a lot of the science is actually about. So to check out the Juve units, whether it's the modular ones like I have or the handheld, all you have to do is head over to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. And once you're over there, you're going to see a special bonus the Juve team is uh, hooking you up with if you're a listener. So just use the code Luke at checkout and you're going to get a free gift. So that's juve.com forward slash Luke and use the code Luke at checkout. My frisky friends, what's happening, you horny little devils? Listen, this episode of the Lifestylist podcast is for adult ears only, or that is to say people that don't have sensitive ears or aren't easily offended by topics around sexuality, because this is a hot one, um, serious, serious heat going on here from our guest, Kim Anami. Now we try to keep it classy. I don't even think there's that much profanity, but we're definitely talking in a very graphic way about human sexuality, which I personally think is very uh, healthy. But of course, if you have kids around, uh, you know, you might want to scoot them out of the room. And I might direct you to next week's episode, which is very vanilla. Uh, it's called Building a Health and Wellness Empire with Mind Body Greens, Jason Wacob. And that one, my friends, is safe for the entire family. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss next week's episode or any episodes to follow. But this one here, y'all, is about taking the shame out of communicating about human sexuality. And as I said, we try to do it in a classy way, but there's just some things you can't really skirt around, no pun intended. So who is our guest? Our guest is Kim Anami. She's a holistic sex and relationship coach, writer, and speaker. She's also the creator of multiple online courses. Uh, the, the, the one that's coming up now is called uh, Vaginal Kung Fu. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that later. Actually, I'll just tell you about it right now. You can go to kimanami.com forward slash Luke. You can take her free quiz there. And you can also sign up for her upcoming Vaginal Kung Fu online course. Pretty cool. Uh, her quiz there, I, th I think, is pretty much geared toward women, if I recall. I took a glance at it and I was like, yeah, I don't think I have those parts. Also want to tell you, I've got something exciting coming up myself. I'm working on a little online class um, for the lifestylist. Yeah, it's called Biohack My Travel, the Jet Lag Solution. You can go to lukestory.com forward slash travel and get on the wait list for that. I don't know when exactly it's coming out, but I've, I've been working on it. I'm really happy about it because traveling sucks if you don't know how to hack it. So that's lukestory.com forward slash travel. So here's what we talk about in this episode. And as I said, get the kids out of the room or any sensitive people out of the room, any snowflakes, they got to go. <laughs> We're getting hardcore here. Here's what this episode is about. The practice of women putting jade eggs inside their vaginas and why most women are doing it incorrectly. Why women shouldn't actually be aiming for the often encouraged tight vagina. The dark side of lube for both your health and your sexual pleasure. Becoming a sex gourmet instead of a fast food sex junkie. Why learning to deep throat can make you a better person. Why porn is one of the worst things to happen to men's sex lives. 
The travesty of male circumcision and how men can heal from that early trauma. How you can use sex to heal past trauma. The systematic effort undertaken to scare women away from giving birth without a doctor in a hospital and the alternative solutions available. All the different types of female orgasms. Everything you need to know about female ejaculation and why absolutely no one should be embarrassed by it. How you can use sex with your partner to deepen true love and intimacy. And why men typically get depleted from sex while women get energized and how men can avoid losing their chi. See, in this conversation, we definitely don't beat around the bush. This is a very titillating conversation. I really enjoyed sitting down in my living room slash studio with Kim. Uh, I've, I've known of her work for some time. She used to do quite a few episodes with my friend Daniel Vitalis on his podcast, which I really miss called Rewild Yourself. And I've just learned so much about sexuality and specifically about women, you know, those other creatures. Um, from listening to Kim and her work, and I just love her conscious approach to these topics. Uh, she's fun and irreverent, but also respectful and just very knowledgeable and free. I think that's the bottom line. It's really fun to get down and uh, have a conversation with someone and be uninhibited. I think I was probably a little more <laughs> embarrassed by some of the topics we covered, which is hard to imagine because I don't get uncomfortable um, because of the language very much. But I was like, damn, we're really going there. So I'm excited to bring this episode to you with Kim Anami. And may it make all of your future sexual endeavors all the more fulfilling. And I'd also love to remind you to get over to kimanami.com forward slash Luke to take her free quiz and sign up for her upcoming course, Vaginal Kung Fu. It's going to be a doozy. So here you go with Kim Anami. Kim and Ami, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to meet you. Uh, in the last two days, I've been binging every podcast you've ever been on. So uh-huh. this might be the first time I have three pages of notes for a guest because <laughs> it's like, and I've heard you on Vitalis's show and stuff before too. I mean, I've been familiar with your work for a couple of years, but um, you know, I, I wanted to take a deeper dive and kind of see what you were up to most recently. And oh my God, do I have questions. Now, I'm sure, away. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm going to say this in the intro that I record later, but just in case you little sneakers listening fast forwarded through my intro, by the way, don't ever do that, please. There's important information in there. Uh, this is definitely an adult only conversation right now. So heads up, if you've got kids in the car, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to skip this one. Uh, if you're sensitive to language uh, around human sexuality, this might not be the episode for you. So there's my disclaimer. That said, uh, the first thing I'm going to ask you, Kim, is what the hell is vaginal weightlifting? Boom, there it is. Just exactly as it sounds, it's lifting weights with your vagina or a woman's vagina. So I started this practice about 20 years ago and I learned about it maybe 25 years ago as this ancient Taoist technique to strengthen the pelvic floor. So this was used 5,000 years ago in ancient China, a Taoist practice around cultivating sexual energy and strengthening the PC muscle. And so we exercise every other muscle in our body. Why wouldn't we also exercise our genitals. And that was part of the 
program, but also as a way to recirculate and move sexual energy in the body through strengthening that muscle and being able to pump energy up through our system. So I was doing my work as a sex and relationship coach and women over the years would come to me and say, oh, you know, like women are always told to do their Kegel exercises. So they're meant to clench their PC muscle, their pubic coccygeal muscle, the muscle that you use to stop the flow of urine. So they are told to just clench their muscle all the time as much as they can. Except that clenching your muscle like randomly, like a vagina flapping at random in the air doesn't actually do anything. So women would come to <laughs> me, funny. be like, oh, you know, I just, my Kegels don't work for me. Like they thought something was wrong with them, that they were the only ones. And I realized that they're not working for anyone. And then when I looked into it, the actual Kegel exercise that was developed by Dr. Kegel in 1947 involved putting a device inside the vagina called a Kegel perineometer. And so that was put in to create resistance and feedback. So just like when you go to the gym and you walk up to the weight stands, you either stare at the weights for an hour and then you you know wiggle your arms and legs in the air or you actually pick up weights and you press with the weights. And so it's the exact same thing with the device in the vagina. So my process is the ancient Chinese practice or Taoist practice of using a jade egg that's There's a hole that goes through it, a string that comes out through the end. The egg goes in the vagina and then the string can attach any number of objects from grapefruits to chandeliers to coffee tables. Or, you know, I was going to start this vaginal moving company, like a bunch (laughs) of women who get called and they just en masse tie objects to their like refrigerators to their vaginas, drag them across and into the moving vans and stuff. Just a joke. But this is a, this is a, and those of you listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube, like you definitely have to follow Kim on Instagram because she's managed to uh, get past the the censorship there. Like, I don't know about that, but <laughs> have you gotten heat? Well, I haven't Insta? gotten heat, but I've gotten algorithm heat where oh, okay. like I I'm not able to build my audience any longer. Oh. They don't load, like show my followers anymore. Like I've been at the same amount of followers for the last year. Oh, interesting. And even though I see new people following all the time, and they've just they put it on lockdown somehow. So they I can post my images, but right. I'm not getting the reach and the audience wow. that I would that any other human would get who's not talking about sex. Well let's have everyone listening follow Kim Anami on Instagram because you also have like in the vaginal weightlifting, you have like really dope photography and sets. I mean it's very thought out. It's not at all pornographic or tacky. It's really interesting. The only thing mm. different I mean they would just make epic photos anyway. And then you're like, wait, what's that thing? Where's it coming from? And you'll have a mini dress on or something. You're like, oh, okay, I get it. That's, you know, a bowling ball or whatever. Not a bowling ball. That'd That's be a, a good heavy. idea. That's a good one. Um, yeah. But it's funny. I've always wondered about that. And my next question was going to be uh, the jade egg thing, because a lot of women in sort of the circles that I run in talk about that. And I've always wondered, like, how many do you put in there? How do you keep them from just falling out when you're in line at the bank? this kind of stuff. So how does that work? Well, before I had all these viral campaigns over the last like four and five years, nobody used jade eggs. Like this was a very fringe thing. And then I put out a video, 10 reasons to lift weights with your vagina, which went viral. And then the hashtag things I lift with my vagina campaign on Instagram went viral. But before that, there was like one or two vendors of jade eggs on the internet. And now you can pretty much buy jade eggs at 7-Eleven. Like it's become <laughs> right. this completely right. democratized thing, which is great. But the, the problem is 
is that people don't really know how to use them. We get emails every single day saying, you know, I have this egg, it's been sitting in my nightstand. They, they get all excited because it does. It sounds like this amazing thing to use this egg to be, create this superpower vagina. And yet like people tell them mistakenly to say, wear your egg all day. Like you would never just wear your egg to the bank. Uh, and okay. you wouldn't just wear it okay. to sleep, but because people aren't really teaching women how to use them, they're giving them these very blanket ignorant instructions to say, just wear the egg all day. And that's not going to do anything. It's like if you taped a weight to your shoulder and wore it around all day, you know, there's not, it's not doing anything. It's like a deliberate conscious practice of specific exercises that you do say four times a week for 10 minutes at a time. And that will do everything it needs to do. I think people like the idea of having a crystal in their vagina, which is, you know, it's great, but that's not actually doing anything. And I would even argue that wearing it all day or sleeping in it has detrimental effects. Like I wouldn't, I've never told people to do that. So I always teach not just the exercises to use with the jade egg, but actually this whole like emotional, psychological, spiritual rehabilitation of one's sexual energy. Like my work is always about the multidimensional healing of sex and rejuvenation, the power that that has. And so it's not just about doing some exercises, like that's just a fraction of the program. It's an important part, but it's more about how do we reclaim that part of our anatomy that we've become dissociated from. Yeah. And the reason why we have these epics statistics. You know, there was a study done by Yale University School of Medicine saying that over 60% of women have urinary incontinence issues and 50% of women after childbirth have pelvic organ prolapse. So some part of their anatomy literally falls out. That's over one out of two women are suffering from these things. And that would be because of the atrophy from not using those muscles, as you said earlier. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so interesting. And the purpose here is not, you know, I think a lot of people have the misconception, and obviously I'm no expert, that's why I'm interviewing you, but um, they have the misconception that these exercises, what are they called? Kegel? Mm-hmm. Kegel exercise in this is to like make the vagina tighter per se. But from what I understand from your perspective, it's not about it being tighter. It's about having more of a, a relationship with it energetically and knowing how to use it. Definitely. I've never used the word tighter again, because we actually don't want a tight vagina. We want a strong, articulate and supple vagina and a more sentient and sensitive vagina. But there, there's actually this sort of ubiquitous, mysterious medical term like many are of, of tight vagina syndrome, where a vagina locks down. And it's often when people have had, say, unresolved sexual trauma, right? And then they've never really processed it and their vagina's on lockdown. And that's why, because it's saying, you look, you need to heal me before before I'm really ready to blossom open. It's a message. But in you know Western medical circles, it's just, oh, you've got tight vagina syndrome and we don't know why you have it and we don't know how to fix it. But there you go. Like, And that's where they leave women, where right. there's a lot more to it. So anyway, I don't use that. Yeah, it's a misnomer yeah. to say the word tight. It's almost, um, I like, what did you say? Articulate, mm. right? It's almost like... Um, I imagine it being, I have to imagine a lot of this, obviously from the male perspective, but um, having a certain range of motion or, or yeah. mobility, right? Well, think of And having your, been someone that's spent a bit of time in inside some, them, uh-huh. uh, there is a huge difference between a woman that's very much open and in touch and can actually make things move down there and do crazy, amazing, feel good things versus one, as you said, that's closed down where you're just like, huh, wow, this is not... It's not tight in a good way. It's yeah. like perma tight. Right. 
You know, I've yeah. experienced that and it's, it's a strange kind of um, phenomenon. That's a very good insight into the cavern of vaginal anatomy there from that perspective. Because, you know, I, I liken it to say a hand. You have a hand that's like sitting flat and you can put things in it and it just lies there passively. Or you have a hand that's got this ability to move every finger and to grip and to pull and to suction, you know, like all this variety of motion and experience versus this passive numbed out hand. Totally. Yeah. We, some of us men have a name for that. It's called pussy voodoo. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like guys will say that like, you know, you're obviously guys talk, you have sex with a woman, whatever the case may be uh, surrounding that. Oh, how was it? You know, it's like, dude, pussy voodoo. Like she knew how to do some crazy stuff. I mean, this is something men or at least the men I hang around with are quite aware of is when a woman's in touch with that part of her body. And once you have that experience and then you're with someone who's cut off from that part of her body or you haven't been able to successfully open her emotionally and there's not a safe container by which to allow that to happen, then it's a different experience. And once you know, you're like, oh yeah, this is not the real deal. Like when you're in love, usually it's then that stuff starts to just happen. Yeah. And I agree with that as the process. But I also like, I let people know that we have this idea that these pussies in Thailand are this crazy, oh my God, like they can shoot ping pong balls and shoot darts. That's actually normal. That's the normal healthy baseline for any vagina is to have that level of articulation and strength. And the the vaginas that are abnormal are the ones that we have in Western culture that are literally falling out and peeing their pants and have, you know, growing all these things and having all these ailments. That's not normal. It's become normalized. Women have become accustomed to the idea that they're going to pee their pants when they get on a trampoline. Honestly, that's what women end up talking about. It's like wow. how that's funny because I have a trampoline right here. No wonder women never jump on that when they come over. <laughs> the guys were always like, bro, can I try it? I, I swear to God, I've never had one woman like, oh fun, a trampoline. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Now I now I'm gonna know. I'll be like, it's okay if you pee, honey. It's cool. Oh, have I fun. put a mat down on the trampoline. Yeah, yeah. We'll clean it Give up. Give them it's an fine. egg on their way out the door. <laughs> I'll give them a jade egg and be like, hold this in as you jump. Okay. Fascinating stuff here. This is so fun. And like I said, I've just had such a great time listening to you um, for the past couple of days here and, and learning so much about this ahead of time because it's it make, it always... By the way, if you're a podcaster listening, please listen to your guests. You'll have a much better time and you'll be able to have a much more free-flowing conversation because you feel like I feel like I already know you mm-hmm. even though we've yet to meet. So um, I kind of skipped the part of... Because I just want to hook people from the get-go as a good host, but uh, skip the part of how you got into this. You know, I've heard your story a bit as a young woman, you started discovering that you could use the sexual energy and, um, you know, explored Taoist um, philosophies and these different things. Can you give us kind of the, the elevator pitch of your beginning into working in um, educating people about sexuality? Well, yeah, as I've said that I had an awareness of my sexual energy from a really young age and somehow that wasn't squelched out of me. And my early sexual experiences were really cataclysmic. Like I had a cervical orgasm in one of the first times I had sex. And so for me, having sex was like this mind altering, transcendent consciousness altering experience. And so, which I then could see was very different from the messages being communicated at large in our culture about what sex can really do. And for me, it was like this spiritual portal that would open. And then at the same time, I had a strong interest in all things like health and wellness. Like how do how do I change and how do I grow to become the very best self-actualized version of myself? And so 
I've always studied, or from a young age as a teenager, studied meditation, herbs, homeopathy, naturopathic healing, uh, psychology, transpersonal psychology, health and wellness, everything. And then sex to me was always a part of that equation of the tools that I would have to be healthy and well. And so over the years, that just morphed into me creating my own niche as a holistic sex and relationship coach, where I then bring in all of these other ideas in my work. Work. You know, like for example, in my perspective, as I've seen and observed, say for women, like most sex therapists would say, lube, it's a girl's best friend, like, you know, slather on the lube, all you like. And I'd say, well, if a woman isn't lubricating, she's either emotionally not feeling open or connected to herself or her partner, or and physically, she needs more turn on. She's not physically there yet. Like, it's not that her vagina is broken perpetually and needs lube all the time. Like, that's actually a great way to further dissociate a woman from her her vagina and from her sexuality by slathering on this Band-Aid. So I immediately kind of had this different approach because I'd see it through my own experiences and then working with clients and having this quite radically holistic background myself and how I live my own life and my own health practices where I'm always looking for the root cause and I don't take Band-Aids for an answer and I don't take you know, non whatever, like I'm always like, to me, there's always a solution and there's always a message that the body's trying to communicate to us, especially through our sexual quote unquote symptoms or things that are going on there. I think that's why I I love the way you approach this particular topic because you have some sort of sex experts. I mean, I remember a kid like it's Dr. Ruth or, you know, going to the, the old school, but those that have come along and I've sort of seen, and it's a topic that I want to cover on the show. And um, I did, I did once um, uh, a bit with um, Psalm Isadora, who was a kind of tantric teacher. And then she committed suicide like a couple of weeks after my interview. So oh, wow. um, I don't take that as an omen uh, by any means, but very sad situation. But other than that, I haven't really had a, many frank conversations about it because I want to approach it from the more holistic and personal growth and development perspective rather than just, oh, here's a technique for how to have a better orgasm. Like, what's the point? Like, if you're not having some sort of ascension, you know, during that process. And um, so, yeah, I really appreciate that point of view. And I look forward to getting into some more of that in terms of um, the healing aspects of it, you know, psychologically and spiritually healing. I think that, you know, because of so many factors in our culture, people do not associate human sexuality with spirit, right? Because our version of spirit largely is religious and religious is like, oh no, we're not going to mix those two. Kind of like money. There's a lot of parallels with money too. I've been looking at that a lot in my life recently of subconscious blocks, you know, and I found one that's like, oh, if you're spiritual, you shouldn't care about money, which is a really, it's a really negative sort of reinforcement to have. And the same thing goes for sexuality. Well, if one is, spiritually oriented and into things like meditation and prayer and, you know, uh, some sort of devotional practices that sexuality is apart from that. So I don't know if there's a question in there, there's an observation in there into what I like about your work. So I guess I could form a question by saying, how does the physical vessel as it relates to other physical vessels in a sexual way help facilitate an inner spiritual experience or a joined um, shared spiritual experience from your perspective. 
Right. So as I said, when I was looking around and I had my own experiences at first where it was a spiritual process for me, then I'd look obviously in our culture, like sex and God are completely polarized, except when they come out in very untoward ways, right? So we see that the suppression of sexual energy actually has facilitated all of these awful abusive things to take place in churches, no less, you know? And so yet when I then discovered Tantra and Taoist sexuality, they looked at sex as this vehicle to attain spiritual enlightenment that you, you know, sexual energy is creative life force energy. This is the energy that creates new life. And if we're not creating babies with it, then we consciously use that energy and channel and funnel it into all of our lives as a creative resource. So that fully resonated with me. And so that's really just been my direction and looking how to... So yes, like sex is pleasurable and wonderful, but for me, it's probably even more so about as a process of ascension and rejuvenation and using that energy in a creative way, in a conscious creative way. So for me, like what I really see is that most people have throwaway sex or I call it junk food sex versus gourmet sex (laughs) where, you know, it's like unconscious, often used as a distraction. People aren't really present. It's just, you know, like junk food, right? It's not a nourishing experience. It's often something that produces guilt and like negative things in the body afterward. And there's no judgment, like, you know, in terms of what people choose to do. I'm always looking at what's the best use of my energy, in this situation? How can I obtain the best, most highest quality energy out of every situation? And so gourmet sex would then be like sex that has an emotional connection. It's got a sense of surrender and openness. And when you have that, that's really akin to spiritual surrender. Like the same level of surrender that we talk about in the spiritual world of like you open, like thy will be done, right? You open to a greater power than yourself or assume that there is one, whether it's a higher part of you or God or energy or spirit, the universe, whatever you want to call it. And then sexually speaking, it's the same process where you have to open and surrender within yourself and to your partner. And that's where the gold is. Like that's when you create that open, palpable, articulate vagina. That's when people actually transform as humans into the better people, the better versions of themselves. They self-actualize. And that's all through sexuality. And so that's why I herald it as this incredible personal growth tool that mostly goes over looked and misunderstood and really try to educate people about that. So yeah, I'm in the same way. I'm not like really spending, even though I do talk about technique, it doesn't matter. Like if a couple isn't connected, like if a woman does not feel like giving her man a blowjob, 99 great blowjob techniques are going to mean nothing to her, nothing, because she doesn't want to do it. So why doesn't she want to do it? Why is she not feeling that connection and that love? And like, why does she not want to just grab that cock and smother it and like get down on her knees and do everything she can with it. Like that's a woman who's like sexually and emotionally open to her partner. And that's what it looks like. There is, and that's a woman who's lubricating and gushing and orgasming like nobody's business when they're in that place, the whole relationship is in that place of openness. So that to me is gourmet sex. And that becomes a secret weapon. So very, very, very few people have that. And when they do, their lives are empowered tenfold. It's like you come together and you create this supercharge with each other where you actually do become stronger as a unit than you were individually. But most people have a more guarded, protected type, whatever, economic, social agreement. They might have some degree of love, but it's not until they're fully in that surrendered open place do they really tap into the deep power that's available to them that most people don't even know. Like you don't know what you don't know. 
as a man who's had a variety of different experiences, um, some more connected and some not, that uh, the connected ones are much more transcendent than just like good hot sex that's random and more sort of anonymous and less emotionally based. In terms of that term you used, uh, junk food sex, it seems to me that that has a connotation too, that that type of sex would lend itself more to um, a sort of addictive energy and a compulsive energy because the requirements to access it are much lower, right? A willing partner that's also turned on in that moment and like, eh, you know, the, the, you know, like meeting in a bar and doing it, you know, behind the bar and you, you know, that kind of thing, um, which is like fulfilling in the moment. But as, um, as a guy, I think a lot of guys earlier in life, when we're younger, we tend to get caught up in sort of the numbers game of sleeping with as many partners as possible. And we don't need the kind of emotional connection in order to become aroused typically. Um, it's like, cool, look at it and we're good to go when you're 25 or whatever, right? But in that is a much more sort of addictive and compulsive propensity towards sexuality because there's not that sense of connection. Would you agree? Like, where does... um. Where does that junk food sex kind of become a commodity that one could get overtaken by or, um, you know, negatively affected by? I mean, my view is that everything can be used consciously or unconsciously, like the way you eat. You eat consciously and you taste everything and you're aware of what you're eating versus unconsciously when you're almost looking to bury something, right? And so someone might just stuff food in and not be aware of it. They just want to shut down. They want to come to some altered state of consciousness that's not a good altered state. It's like an escape altered state. And I think we can apply that to anything, including sex. And the thing is, that's really glorified in our culture. Like if you watch any movie and television show, like there's often that, like just what you described, like two people meet in a bar and they start fucking behind the bar and whatever, like as this cool thing, like we're so liberated, we're so modern, we can do these things. And like, that's fine. But, you know, my view is that that becomes a very depleting way of relating to your sexual energy that you start to feel over time. It's just like if you had a steady diet of junk food that would deplete your body, it wouldn't actually nourish your body over time. And again, I have no judgment. You know, I've been there, done that. It's not that I'm coming from this high moral horse. It's an energetic horse <laughs> that I'm coming from. No, I totally get that. I mean, uh, I think with everything that I discuss on this show, it's not, it's never, especially when it goes into sexuality, it's never from a moral point of view. I talk to a lot of people about pornography and especially men. It's something I'd like to educate men about is like the how whack porn is. <laughs> and I'll say it just totally sucks for your life. It takes some of us a long time to figure that out. But it's not a moral issue. You know, it's not like, oh, if you have sex on camera or you like watching people have sex on camera, that you're a bad person. It's just everything has a level of consciousness, right? A level of energy. And that would be lower on the scale to me versus like two people that are really committed and in love having an enlightening sexual experience. But it's not like one's good and one's bad. Exactly. Right. And people even in a long-term marriage could be having junk food sex. Right. It's not just the right. domain of casual encounters. That could be when people have had mountains, you know, or even hills of unresolved issues between them that they don't work out. And so they've got barriers built up. They're not open. They're not emotionally connected. They're not really feeling a deep love connection anymore. They're just going through the motions. Right. So I would call that junk food sex as well. Like that's not really helping anybody. That's a good point. That's a good point. I can picture that like a long-term unfulfilling relationship where people are just staying together, quote unquote, for the kids or something like that. And there's this obligatory, like, well, <laughs> I better do it just to keep the peace or, yeah, you know, it's like that, um, 
I've done a couple interviews on um, on oming, you know, and one thing that I really like about that perspective is this um, transactional sex, where there's this, you know, I did this thing for you, now you owe me kind of relationship to sexuality. And I know for myself, much of my earlier life, that's kind of how it was. It was like you want to make sure that your partner gets off, so you're just not a jerk and not selfish. But if you do that, then she owes you, or vice versa, you know. And that's that same kind of thing where it's um it's kind of a lower level of that experience that could happen, you know, in a in an immediate temporary relationship or in one that's more longer term. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So um, good stuff. Wow, God, there's so many different directions I could go here. Ah, uh, before I forget. I wanted to ask you when we were talking about the vaginal weightlifting and um, the health, just physiological health of your female sex organs. Is there a version of this for men? Yes, penile weightlifting. Oh, no way. Yeah. Just when I think I've done every crazy health thing. (laughs) God damn it. That's one I can't show on Instagram Live though. Like the other things I'm always posting. What's this all about? Well, um, men can do the same thing. You learn how to strengthen your PC muscle and build it up over time. And it creates better stamina, better control, more powerful and pleasurable orgasms. And also like we've, you know, the pelvic floor supports all of our internal organs. And so the reason why say after pregnancy or say for men as they age, they can have the same kinds of incontinence issues without strengthening that set of muscles. And so this exercise not only does that from a, you know, supporting your whole body perspective, then it also increases and enhances your sexual potential and on all levels. Like you'll feel more, you'll be more sensitive, you'll be more in control, you'll be able to last longer, you'll have better, more powerful orgasms. And the same thing applies to women. And in terms of the mechanics of it, because now, of course, I'm like, okay, I'll start this today, <laughs> this afternoon. In terms of the mechanics of it, do you you tie something around the penis? Eventually, like what? you can start really like, you know, small and light with say a face cloth and then a wet face cloth. And then you can build up from that. Yeah, like tying something at the base of your cock. So a friend... When it's erect or yes, soft? Yeah, oh, okay, correct. when it's erect. Yeah, a friend of mine can lift 10 pounds with his cock. Uh-huh. Oh my God, he's my new mentor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> meet this guy yeah well I, you know it's funny though because I, I think i'm thinking back to just like locker room hijinks and shit if you you know like guys will walk around with a boner and like have a uh, towel hanging on it and you would like lift up the yeah, towel you yeah. know when you contract the That's muscle it. there you go you guys are doing okay. it intuitively cool okay got that that doesn't require it sounded much more complicated uh, at the outset so that sounds totally doable while we're at it, this is kind of out of the order of things because I wanted to talk a little bit about just healthy reproduction and birth and things like that. Um, and I was going to cover circumcision uh, briefly in that. But while we're on the topic of men's genitalia and the health um, um, of them, I think from Daniel Vitalis, who you've been a guest on, as I mentioned, I learned about this crazy thing that we have in Western culture, primarily in the United States, known as circumcision. And I'm circumcised and it's just, I think when I was a kid, I was kind of glad because I looked like the other boys, you know, in the locker room or watching pornography, the majority of men would look like me. So I didn't feel like left out. And there's even, I think to a degree in our culture, um, kind of a making fun of men that aren't circumcised just because they're kind of the ones on the outs. Whereas in most other countries, if your dick was mangled like ours are here, you'd probably get made fun of like, yo, where's the rest of your cock? And after doing some research and studying on this, I am just like now completely appalled by the fact that this goes on 
I uh, recently watched a film called American Circumcision. Just came out. It's a documentary. I'm going to interview the director. We set that up. I saw it on Twitter and I was like, I want to interview you. I haven't even seen your film. We got to talk about this because none of my guy friends even realize something bad has happened to them. And really what it is, is it's, it's genital mutilation. It's just the worst thing you could ever do. And, um, and all of the health uh, claims around it are totally bunk. And it's just, it's to me, it's just a huge scam. And after I watched that film, I mean, they show it happening to a baby in the film and it's, it is absolutely horrific. I mean, you can't, you can't, I almost didn't watch it, but I was mm-hmm. like, no, I need to experience this. Mm-hmm. So I just understand what's going on here. And um, after seeing that, my relationship with myself physically changed. I mean, now like, I'm not, I mean, I haven't had sex in quite a long time at the time of this recording that may change soon, hopefully. But, uh, you know, just when I'm like dealing with myself, I'm like, this is weird. Like something's fucking wrong here. And I never knew that until I saw that film. So what's your perspective on that, that whole issue? I think it's really important to bring it to light. Of course, each parent's kind of going to do their own thing. But my perspective is, is that if people want more enlightened men, that are doing better things in the world and not having, you know, whatever. I don't even know what toxic masculinity, I don't even know what all these terms mean. It's just, if you want to have men that like aren't assholes and treat women, children in the planet with respect, you might not want to, um, you know, um, expose them to that kind of physical trauma when they're a little boy, a baby. Or ever. Yeah, that's my thing. Yeah. What's the deal with all that from your perspective? It's horrendous. Like it's abs- like appalling is the right word for it. And the thing that's so strange to me is we get all up in arms about female genital circumcision and mutilation. Like, oh my God, that's the, mo- the worst thing. That country, they still practice female genital mutilation. What the fuck do you think we're doing here? In America, it's a boys, the minute they're born. And it's like basically offered as like a totally normal thing. And there's, I mean, there's so many things wrong with it. But one, you've got the genital essence of this being pretty much right after they're born, gets traumatized, like massively injured. And that that's the imprint of who you are. Like, you know, my view is that your sexual energy is the essence of who you are because that's your reproductive blueprint. That is the genetic code of everything that you are lives there. And that's why, you know, to me, sexuality is so much bigger and broader than how most people see it. That's literally who you are. So we're going in there, we're hacking that away. Like the stats on this, you know, the information about it, the actual studies, which is the only reason we have it is because it was done to make men not masturbate so much. So back in, I think it was in the 1800s, like Dr. Kellogg of the Kellogg's Corn Flakes, which if you saw the documentary, (laughs) like that would be in there. He was like, we have to get men and boys to stop being so masturbating. And so we need to cut off their dicks and we need to put carbolic acid onto the clitorises of young girls. That's what we need to do. And without any anesthetic so that they'll feel the pain of this and associate that with their sexuality. That's actually what he said. That was the intention behind circumcision. It was like this cleanliness bullshit that people have been fed, you know, I don't even know where that's come from, but it's just some rationalization that people buy into. And it really tells you the power of programming and conditioning in our culture, where people accept this as being natural, normal, we should cut all the boys' dicks off as soon as they're born. Like, in what fucking universe is this even remotely okay? And, you know, what we know is that, so the least sensitive part of the uncircumcised, like regular natural cock is way more sensitive than the most sensitive part of an of a circumcised cock. So, yeah, I got that right. So, yeah. 
So, I get that. So these guys are walking around with trauma on their clocks. They don't even know is there or where it's come from. I think that the reason why we have this huge issue with premature ejaculation, like 75% of men come within three minutes, right? Like that's just ridiculous. I think so much of it we could attribute to circumcision because it creates this dissociation with the cock and men don't know that. And so we've also been conditioned in our culture to believe that men are more sexual than women and women are more emotional than men and women are less sexual. You have to really coerce them to have sex and men are so sexual, but they're not really in touch with their emotions. And to me, that's all conditioning. Like I don't believe that that's actually true. It just gets constantly reinforced in our culture and generally mutilating our boys at birth also reinforces this kind kind of dissociation and separation or weird mutated relationship with their sexuality. And I really hate having to say something like that in a culture where the majority of men have already had this done to them. It's one thing to say, hey, don't cut your baby's dicks off. But it's another thing to say to grown men like, oh, I wish that hadn't happened to you. So, you know, I talk a lot about in my salons, my programs about ways that we can remedy this, right? Like obviously we can't go back, but I believe there's a solution for everything. And how could we actually heal this? And for one, I think that love and positive attention are a huge healing force you know, both from a partner. Like I really, one of the major things I coach women about is loving their men's cocks, like truly loving and even men to women, like loving your partner's genitals, like as though they are like truly a gift from God, like that they are one of the most important aspects of your relationship. (laughs) And I talk about for me, like where I had these experiences where one in particular, I fell in love with my partner's cock. Like he had this incredible, wild, amazing cock and I just fell in love with it. And I had a relationship with him and I had a relationship with his cock. And so it really showed me the power then of when you truly love someone up in that way, how you truly transform them and heal them as a person. There's also massage exercises that you can do, breathing techniques to move sexual energy through all of the genitalia. So I do believe there are things that you can do to it, but I would never, ever under any circumstances advocate that someone circumcise a boy. You know, what's interesting about it too, is that, um, and again, going to the film American Circumcision, we'll put it in the show notes because I'm sure your interview will come out before uh, Brendan, I believe is the director's name. Uh, What's interesting is, because of the programming and the brainwashing by the freaking Kellogg Illuminati, like weird shit, men will actually fight for it and like give you fake statistics about the health and where it comes from and the origins of it and why we had to do it during times of the plague and like all the stuff that doesn't really have a lot of basis in um, historical fact. And that um, they actually like are, it's very triggering to specifically to men that want to keep the practice going. It's totally weird. Like any woman I've ever told about, either they know about it because the circles I run in are pretty woke or else they're like, oh my God, that's horrible. I never thought about that. I'm never doing that. But a lot of men that I've talked to about, hey, had you ever noticed like your shit is like has a huge scar around it? And they're like, well, yeah, it has to be that way because otherwise we get, it doesn't stay clean. And like, what? I'm like, where did you, how do you think we evolved to last this long as a species? If like God designed penises to just rot, like (laughs) because they have some skin on them, like what the fuck is God that stupid? Have you looked around lately at the miracles of perfection in nature? There's nothing that is a mistake like that. Exactly. With the reproductive apparatus of a species that it's going to be mistaken. Oh, that was a mistake. Oops, we better just rectify that every single time. And it's not like Like, an anomaly like, oh, every once in a while a guy pops out with some extra foreskin. It's like, no, every single male has 
you know, more of it than what we're left with. It's really interesting. And also in that film, you, you know, you got to, I'm sure you're going to go watch this now. Uh, one thing that's interesting is there is this, you know, tiny subculture of men that are, I forget what they call it, but they're basically like regrowing mm. their skin and they're stretching it out. There's all these exercises you can do. And I sent the link to a buddy of mine to watch it. And he's like, the next day I started doing the stretching things, I'm going to regrow my foreskin. I'm like, I don't know if I have time for that. I'm a busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> I barely find time to like pleasure myself. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting thing, and I'm I'm looking forward to more awareness uh, around this issue because I really think this is at the root of so many men's health issues. And like I said, of just how can you expect a a man to be fully conscious and sensitive to his environment and relationships when he's had this trauma that's unaddressed? Oh, I know. I was going to say the other weird thing is the guys that I've talked to about it that push back. They're like, you don't even remember that, bro. I'm like, what? You were the same person when you were five days old than you are right now. You know what I mean? It's not like, you don't, what, do you have a different brain? No, it's in there. Mm -hmm. It's in there. You just don't have conscious access to it. You remember that shit. Are you kidding me? Well, they used to believe that babies didn't feel pain. And that I guess it was just a coincidence that the baby starts screaming at the top of its lungs when they did the circumcision procedure. Oh like, I don't know how people rationalize this. Like, even I was reading Christiane Northrup was talking about it. Like, she's anti-circumcision now, but as an OBGYN, when she was more in the mainstream, she did them. And that's what they were told is babies don't feel pain. Dude, when you watch this film, when they give the anesthesia, the numbing, just the shot, the baby is screaming bloody murder. Well, just the injections of the Novocaine or whatever they give them. It's really great to hear you say this and to be educating people about this. And like another thing that I'll mention, because I was actually doing research on this for one of my programs right now. I've got this new program out, Sexy Mama, which is all about holistic pregnancy, childbirth, and early Ooh. childhood. And so I was researching like what, you know, what's the temperature these days with circumcision? And there's studies out there where women actually prefer, for the most part, they have more orgasms, they have more pleasure with a circumcised cock because it keeps more moisture, or sorry, an uncircumcised cock because it keeps the moisture in the vagina. A circumcised penis actually goes in and scrapes. It basically goes in like a hook and pulls moisture out of the vagina. Interesting. So look, like I've had amazing sex with both. So I would never like say, oh, I prefer like, I mean, I would love it if men weren't, didn't have that happen to them. But I mean, for those guys who've had it happen. It's like, I've still had incredible, great, incredible orgasmic sex with, you know, all across the board. But it, this, apparently, statistically, like there's all this evidence because I think that you're right. There is this weird prejudice, like trying to convince people. And I don't know if it's just to reinforce and rationalize the trauma, you know, to justify that there was some good reason why this happened and they're holding on to that. And that happens a lot in medical procedures. It happens a lot in childbirth, where we live in a culture where women are forced or basically like sold this idea of having C sections and, you know, interfered with births and induced births and, episiotomies and epidural, like all these things that are actually like very traumatizing both for the mother and the baby. But then they try to cling on to this idea that they've been sold, like, oh, the baby's health was in danger, where actually those procedures were what endangered the baby's health to begin with. But people walk out of that needing to tell themselves some kind of a story about this making it okay. And, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? You're, you're yeah. trying to trust the people at large who ought to be on your side and ought to be giving you things and doing things that are better for your health, but they're not always. Some, you know, there's a lot of things that are 
stuck in the dark ages. Like I saw an ad that someone posted and I've seen these before, but where there's all these ads for cigarettes in like the 1930s that are doctors indoors. Like, you know, doctors, 10 out of 10 doctors use smoke camel cigarettes as opposed to Marlboro, you know, like where we, we, and only in retrospect do we go, oh, we didn't know. And so- I I use that example all the time (laughs) for so many things. Yeah. Because when you're on the cutting edge, like people like us hopefully are, you're kind of there's a, you know there's a there's a learning curve like you learn about certain things like the dangers of blue light and Wi-Fi and cell towers and 5G and vaccines and like all the crate chemtrails all the crazy shit that we're being inundated with but you got to be kind of a fringe dweller to find out about it first and then the awareness grows but I always say like let's just take something like um like you know having a smart meter in your house or you know exposing your baby to Wi-Fi or whatever in this 5G nightmare that we're about to enter into. In 25, 50, 100 years, we're going to look back and go, oh my God, remember when people used to put a cell tower right in front of your house oh, and everyone got cancer and you know we lost <laughs> half the population? Right. We'll be looking back going, oh, oops, you know. Well, that's what it's these frustrating things get... though being in, yeah. like, the, in the time machine of now going like, God, why can't everyone see this shit? It's so obvious. You know, we're like almost ahead of, and I'm not saying we're better than other people, but those of us that are interested in, you know, having a cutting edge awareness of these kind of things, it's like, you're like, God, don't you guys remember the smoking posters? Like you just said, I'm like, yeah. And everyone thought smoking was good for you. It's the normalizing of these things, right? Like that, you know, circumcision becomes normalized. Peeing your pants as a woman becomes normalized. I, like, I didn't even I did, know about this peeing your pants thing. This oh, is I did an interview with a woman a while back and she was like, you know, I had my son eight years ago and I, I don't, I don't, I know I don't, I don't feel bad about it because I know it's normal, but like I still, I pee my pants. You know, he was eight years old. So for eight years, she's been peeing her pants. And I said, wait a second, like that's not normal. That's been normalized, right? You're like growing, adapting to something that you shouldn't be adapting to, right? And that shouldn't have happened really if you'd had the proper holistic approach to your pregnancy and post-birth care. But people just, and then you get these large circles. So that becomes the dominant majority of circumcised men or of women peeing their pants or women having medicalized births and massively traumatic births. Like the C-section rate in America right now is 33%. The C-section rate in Brazil is 98%. What? That is crazy. Again, it's it's like, and I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of root causes as to why their anatomy is not functional. No, there isn't. There isn't. No. I mean, just GMOs and like all this kind of shit. All or... those things can help, but it's basically stepping into a medicalized system. Oh, okay. Like OBGYNs wanted to take over childbirth. Like childbirth was always the domain of a midwife and a, a woman and her partner and her home. That's where women have given birth for eons. And then when OBGYNs came along, they were like, there was actually, there's a quote saying, we need to scare women into believing they can't do this by themselves so that we'll always have a profession. That's actually a quote from a doctor in the 30s or 1927, I believe. This Dr. Hodge, I forget his first name. But so that was a systematic effort to scare women away. There were like, they had these ads taken out in papers where they would have like pictures of midwives going, look at this dirty woman from the old, the old country, like an Italian woman with like a bandana <laughs> on. Would you want this filthy woman delivering your baby? Oh God. And trying to shepherd women into hospitals and basically tell them that they do not know how to birth their own babies and scare them into thinking that that's right. the only way it can be done is with a scalpel and a man wow. in a lab coat that they can't do that. So there's actually this whole movement out there now called free birthing where women are not even having a midwife or a doula and fuck not a doctor 
at home with their partner and their pets and their kids having their babies with nobody there because they've just said like, I reject the system entirely. Maybe they were in it for their first baby and had the worst, most traumatic experience. They were like, never again. Or they just intuitively knew, I don't need someone to do this for me. My body has been doing this for, well, let's just say as as forever because as much as we've been in existence, my body, my genetic coding knows exactly what to do. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm, again, that's now become like fringy, right? The idea of of a a species delivering their baby. Oh my God. Like that's, and that's crazy fringy stuff now, right? So- I'm with you 100%, sister. It's like the example I always give is that we have these two categories of food. Like one's called conventional and one's called organic. Right. And the organic is like special food. The organic food food is the... That's conventional food. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the Franken food is... That has to have some other name. You know what I mean? It's like everything... We're living this backwards land where totally. the abnormal is now normal in it. And we are so programmed because there's some sort of incentive of control by the powers that be or monetization of these processes that are natural. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, the medical system figured out, hmm, we don't want people doing this on their own. Yeah, so I'm glad we kind of got into that because I'm I'm wanting to do... You know, I want the show to have an impact. And so covering things like circumcision and natural childbirth. And I did a show on vaccines with Del Big Tree, which was amazing. Awesome. And I mean, these are things I'm still shocked a lot of people aren't aware of because they're still in the matrix and they're still like watching CNN, like zoning out, getting programmed and brainwashed. And they're in a paradigm that um, they'll never escape from unless someone yeah. comes and knocks on their door and is like, hey, out here, there's this whole other world of how things have been for the past 2 million years for humans. Just like when I drink, you know, I drink spring water, the spring water year. There's, that has not even been touched by human hands other than like someone putting a freaking jar up to the rock where it comes out, you know? I mean, right. It's been lab tested. It's very clean. It's from live spring water. But people are afraid to drink water that comes from the earth. Right. But they'll drink water out of the tap. It's like a little shitty two-inch Brita filter. I'm like, you get, you, you know, there's a mountain that's 10,000 feet tall that has 10,000 feet of the same filtration stuff. Right. You know, the same rocks and minerals yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Do you want 10,000 feet or three inches of filter, you know? Yeah. But people are like afraid of nature and the sun. You know, people yeah. are afraid of the sun. And it's, we really live in this, strange parallel universe. Well, that's why I spend a lot of my time outside of the grid, you know, and and creating my own reality. And it's been like that for the last like 30 years for me coming in and out of this matrix and spending a lot of time away from it. You know, I've, I've been very conscious of my media intake for the last 30 years. I don't have never watched television. You know, I don't, like read papers. I don't read mainstream media. Like I've been, I was, I started to become aware of this stuff in my late teenage years. And then I've really created my life accordingly, you know, creating my own reality of things. But you gave that example, somebody comes banging on their door. Well, a lot of people will still slam the door shut, right? Like this information is out there and people, to me, it's a leap of courage because it's like, you know, the tr- eating from the tree of knowledge in a way, like as soon as you go down that road, you can't go back oh, and totally. your whole life changes and is going to get restructured. But to me, it's an act of courage because you have to leave behind everything that you've known, that you've been told is the truth, that you've been programmed is the truth and step into this completely unknown vast universe, which now it's great to see that there's more and more alternative communities and thought out there. Like it's gaining hold, but for someone who's coming right, you know, green, 
like green as in fresh, not green mm-hmm. as in eco, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. out of out of the mainstream, like that would just be terrifying. And I believe we're all given these opportunities. It's not like some people have like privileged access to this information. It's all out there. And people make the decision to either step forward into a new life and a new paradigm bravely, or they don't and they slam the door shut again. And maybe like 50 more times, someone will knock on that door and maybe on the 50th time they open the door and they go, well, maybe you can come in for a tea. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Now is the time, folks. We're going to be talking about some magnetism. I want you to go over to tobemagnetic.com forward slash Luke and visit the courses put on by my friend Lacey Phillips, who is not one, but a former two-time guest on this very podcast. You can catch her on episodes 180 and 96, two of my most popular shows all about manifesting what you want in your life. And the one that we did most recently, uh, number 180, was like a two-hour deep dive into her whole formula for manifestation, which has a lot to do with unblocking low self-worth. You know, that's really where this stuff comes from. We all know about the new agey manifestation courses, right? And doing vision boards and all those things. And I love all that. It's great. It's all good. But I have not found those things to be terribly effective. Like I'm not rich yet. You know what I'm saying? And I've done a lot of work around manifesting. And it really has to do with using psychology and neuroscience. We've got to get in and reprogram the mind. And that's exactly what Lacey Phillips does in her courses at tobemagnetic.com forward slash Luke. She takes you through these guided meditations and quite literally hypnotizes you to jar loose those whack ideas and experiences that you've had in your life that are blocking you from abundance, whether that be calling in a new partner, money, career, whatever it is. So go to tobemagnetic.com forward slash Luke Enter the code Luke to save an additional 10% off these already affordable courses that are only going to take you about 20 minutes a day and they are going to seriously change your life. That's tobemagnetic.com forward slash Luke. Let's take a moment to support our guest, Kim Anami. You can check out her brand new course, Vaginal Kung Fu, over at kimanami.com forward slash Luke. You can also take an amazing free quiz over there that will likely blow your mind when it comes to your own sexual health, that is sexual health of women. Now in her course, Vaginal Kung Fu, you're going to learn how to use your sexual power to magnetize what you want in your life, which means you need to be connected to your sexual energy and uh, for you ladies, to your vagina specifically. Vaginal weightlifting has been called Kegels on steroids and you're going to find out why over at kimanami.com forward slash Luke. That's kimanami.com forward slash Luke. Check it out. And now back to the interview. You know, there's something very powerful that's going on right now, and that is the ability to um, pilot your own long form media like the one that we're doing right now. I mean, as of today, there's very little censorship, you know, in terms of what we can talk about and not talk about within this medium, say, of podcasting. I think that's the last medium, though, because, like, from my perspective, YouTube, I get censored. Facebook, I've pretty much given up on. Instagram, I still keep it going, but I get, I get really, like I said, algorithm fucked on that. And now I'm going to go into podcasting with the hope that maybe that's the last frontier where, because they actually have like a sex. Top, uh, you know, category in podcasting. Right, right. So I'm going to hope that that means I can exist there without censorship. But every other platform is 
is definitely compromised for me. And I'm not out there, hey, look at this, you know, graphic intercourse video. Like I'm just talking about people and I'm usually not even talking graphically about it. Right? I might use words that are provocative, but I'm not saying like, and then lie down and open your throat and then stick the cock down. your. You know, I'm not going into that. And yet I'm still. So I, you know, to me, the censorship is pretty strong. It's terrifying. For... There's certain people out there. That's interesting because I didn't know. I've observed um, the political censorship, mainly that, you know, you have all of these um, sort of leftist uh, tech uh, kids, you know, that have been indoctrinated into a certain sort of Marxism, postmodernism, weird collectivism kind of mindset by the universities. And then they go and start Mm. tech platforms and then they have censored off all kind of conservative voices and I'm watching just people just get torn down and they're not necessarily people that I agree with on every issue, but it's terrifying to me to watch because I've been too into um, sort of underground alternative media for so long now going on 20 years and I'm like, Oh shit, people don't realize like you're shutting this person down because you don't agree with them. But then next they're coming for you. You know, it's like, that's what people don't realize is pretty soon you won't be able to say anything. And I actually had no idea that someone like you would be censored by social media platforms just for being provocative. Usually it's like if, you know, you're wearing a MAGA hat or something, your shit's getting deleted. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way that it's gone so far. But I did not know that if you're just like, hey. And in terms of podcasting, just on the algorithm there, um, it's interesting because I'll go in periodically and sort of search where I am in the in the um, ratings of iTunes and stuff. I try not to do it because then I like get all freaked out that I'm not right, number one and right. why is Tim Ferriss still ahead of me and <laughs> stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I'll see where I am. I'm you know I might be number eighty out of a hundred or fifty or something like that. And then sometimes it's like quite low. But then I look at peers that I have that have podcasts and I I, and I sense that I probably have the same amount of downloads that they have. And that's how the algorithm should be situated. So I'm always thinking like, hmm, is it because I talked about vaccines or... Right. I, I you know what I'm saying? Like if I do a show about geoengineering, am I going to get like deplatformed or deranked and, you know, and hidden within the algorithm? Um, I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. I don't really care. I'll find a new platform to get my stuff out. But I've wondered that sometimes like, hmm, if I do these controversial subjects, is Apple, you know, that's now in China, which is pretty scary... Um, in terms of censorship, uh, am I going to get like, you know, hidden from search results because I'm covering these kind of provocative issues? I suspect that that, I think my opinion is that that's the case, that there's certain topics or whatever people get flagged and then those people just start to get buried. Yeah. Interesting. I'm still, what are you going to do? Not do it then? You just, you got to keep doing your thing, you know? I feel like my voice has gotten stronger and more passionate. And then especially with uncovering, like when I had a child, 23 years ago. So my attention hasn't been on child rearing and birth and pregnancy for a long time. But when I went back to it to put together this new program and saw, like I did not know what was going on in mm. the birthing world these days. I really didn't. And because I avoided it myself. Like even when I went through that, like I sidestepped all of it. And then to see it, I was just appalled. Like I could not believe what was going on. And then again, like and it just keeps going, like the circumcision, like sort of anti-breastfeeding sentiment, you know, like all this stuff that's just, so I feel like I've become more, 
more impassioned about all these things rather than less. So yeah, what are you going to do? Like uh, to me, my whole platform and brand is based on how I live my life and speaking my truth about these things. So I'll keep going. But, you know, I noticed that it's definitely like, I feel like I didn't have that obstacle a few years ago Mm -hmm. and it seems to be much more pronounced now. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch, to watch that happen, the deplatforming of certain people and, the censorship is very real. It's, it's scary. I don't get scared about things in the political climate. I don't take it all too seriously. Like, oh, left, mm. right. I mean, I'm like so far out in <laughs> outer space from that yeah. stuff. But when it starts, like when voices have started to be censored, like that is actually scary. That's the beginning of the end. So hopefully people wake up in time and, you know, start. What are they going to do? Start a new internet? Because now it's all under the, you know, the jurisdiction of the government, right? Like it used to be the Wild West. It used to be all based on organic things. And now that's all out the window, right? So it's no longer the beautiful, actual democratic sort of organic thing it originally was. I mean, if it ever was, I kind of feel like it was or more so. But now it's really not. Well, I think um, I've noticed that lately too, because I'll search something that's kind of controversial and I'll get a bunch of very vanilla search results from Google. Right. Populated there intentionally. Yeah. Like I was looking up yesterday, I Googled... um, uh, eugenics programs and it was like a bunch of really lightweight shit and I'm like wait I used to be able to look up something like that and I would find the deep web stuff you right, know what I mean yeah. and I was like huh that's interesting so I, what I hope happens is that enough information got out and en- enough people have unplugged from the matrix that that information now can't be buried because people have it on their hard drives and like people know stuff now like you said you know once you are red pilled like you can't go back mm-hmm. There's no way you could ever convince me like, oh, it's a good idea to cut off a little boy's penis and like watch him scream. Like, I'm never going to go back on that. Yeah. Or that we should be spraying, you know, aluminum in the sky or any of the weird shit that humans do at this point. There's no unlearning that. And all of us that are unlearned, we will find a way to like, you know, wormhole through the matrix to get our message out. And we might take a hit in terms of numbers and things like that. But it's like, what do you, if you have integrity, what are you going to do? You have to still do your thing. And just get smarter about the ways that you do it. Yeah, so anyway, agree. I had no idea we we're going to talk about all this. Yeah. Um, but I do have things I want to cover uh, in the last... As I said, I had so many notes. But um, I'm glad we got to cover the circumcision thing because that's like that's been really burning in my heart now that I've, I have more awareness about it. And just in closing, before we really tie a bow on that particular topic, I would just like to encourage people, but especially women, to not use disparaging um, language around men that are not circumcised because I've done that in my life because they're like the different one and you you know there's like names that you call guys that aren't circumcised and stuff like that and I think it's just really really unhealthy not that we should be ostracizing or making fun of the guys that are circumcised oh you're scarred haha but um but there I hear women make comments about that sometimes like oh he's you know an anteater or whatever and I'm like I would just highly discourage that and that's, they have to realize, like when you realize that's all programming, you know, like wake up to the stupidity of that. Like really, yeah. you know, I have, like I have to just blatantly say that because that's just, you're a victim of programming because you're taking, you know, somebody's natural state and deforming it and then, and then making fun of people who still have their natural state. Like that's just, that's really ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree like that there has to be, I, okay, maybe it looks different than what you're used to, but that doesn't mean, you know, like, so what? Like, understand where that's come from. And when you really understand, I don't think you could carry on in that kind of yeah. manner anymore. Well, hopefully anyone listening has that experience. On the topic, though, 
um, something I've learned from men that what they call it is there's a movement for this now and they're called intact. That's the terminology they use. Uh, that these guys that are intact... And I keep like interviewing my friends. I'm like, are you circumcised? Yes, they're all circumcised. So I can't, I can't find one that's not to ask them. But what guys that aren't circumcised will tell you is that they are very easily multi-orgasmic. They have much more control. Uh, they have different types of orgasms. And that's what I want to get into in terms of the female anatomy. I know you're like a big proponent of helping build awareness around the different types of orgasms that are available to women. Do you know anything about the different orgasms available to men that are intact? That I have not explored or looked at. So no, I don't. I mean, I'm really glad to hear that. And I would theoretically expect that, but that feels like an area I might like to dive into. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I work with like my clients or my own lover, lovers on working like or past, you know, past lovers on expanding their orgasmic repertoire regardless and making all men multi-orgasmic and able to orgasm without ejaculation and explore their prostate, like all these different elements that are available to men. I would coach people on that anyway, right? And so they have that breadth of experience available to them. So, but I do think that you know, in understanding if you're intact, that a lot of that would come more easily because you're not fighting against a trauma. Like a huge part of my work is removing blocks, right? Like, like I believe that everyone has a high libido. Everyone can, like every woman can have G-spot orgasms, cervical orgasms. They can ejaculate across the room. They can shoot ping pong balls with their vagina. Every man can have incredible, like, you know, uh, multiple orgasms, can learn to separate orgasm from ejaculation, can have sex for eight hours straight without having an orgasm or ejaculating, like every single man, every single woman. And the only things that get in our way are our own blockages. So culturally imposed, individually imposed through traumas or you know negative experiences. And once we clear those blocks, then we can have that plethora, the full gamut of experience that's available. And that Yes, somebody who hasn't been circumcised would have one less major block to right. deal with. Yeah, because I, I thought about that just in terms of the sensitivity and maybe not just psychologically, but just in terms of like how a circumcised man has sex. I mean, in order in order to have it be pleasurable, I would assume there has to, and of course, you know, obviously I haven't experienced the other way, but for me... You know, there's got to be a certain amount of friction and like pounding and like it's it's got to be fairly like tight and aggressive whether it's oral or any kind of sex otherwise it's kind of like man eh, what are you doing it's you know what i'm saying it's like there is like not a fine level of feeling or sensitivity there uh, that has to come more from sharing the in my experience sharing the energetic experience of your mm-hmm. whole body and not being so focused on your genitals during whatever sex act you're having but really like having that full body tactile experience but there's really kind of only one feeling down there you know what i'm saying it's a, it's a weird thing yeah so hearing these other guys talk they're like oh i can have an orgasm touching this part or that part and it feels different and like i'm like whoa what right i kind of just have a ring around the tip and if you mess with that a bit, it'll stuff will happen. Well, that's, <laughs> you know that's I mean? beautiful. It's a, it's a weird thing. Well, it's beautiful to hear that about intact 
anatomy because that's how I see the vagina is that there's like these reflexology points in Taoist philosophy, like the vagina and the penis have all these reflexology points and they actually mirror each other. So the head of the cock is the heart and the cervix is the heart point. So when they're matched up, everything lines up together. You're completely in sync. Is that where the cervical orgasms come from? Yes. Boom. I've experienced that, but I didn't know why. I was like, yeah, when it's like up in that one spot right there, bing, then something crazy happens. Yeah. Ideally. Yes. If a woman's open to that experience, you know. So it's wonderful to hear. Like, so when I talk about the vagina, I often describe it as, you know, Van Gogh's painting of the starry night sky. Like the vagina's like that. Like there's all these different areas and they all correspond to different emotional sensations, right? Like according to reflexology, the different organ systems, like the heart is love. The kidneys are trust when they're open and fear when they're not. And the kidney spot is where the G-spot is located in women. And so for a woman to have a G-spot orgasm, she has to feel trust. She has to feel open. If she's feeling afraid and shut down, blocks it. She won't have it. And then men would have the exact same corresponding points, but they would probably be less sensitive along the shaft or, you know, where they've got the scar from the cut than they would, you know, if they were fully intact in the way you described, like someone actually saying that they could pinpoint different energetic sensations and feelings and even perhaps emotional experiences from the whole cock. Yeah, I feel so robbed. <laughs> like, I hate talking about it to reinforce like no, to someone no, who's had it, you know but what? it's like how it's but it's it's kind of the thing like how do you then talk about it without acknowledging what's happened, right? And like it's like kudos to you for really going down that hole and being willing to talk about it and be really open about it where, you know, like the last thing we want to do is make people feel bad. Like that is not the intention. The intention is A to heal what's happened to you and then B for it to never fucking happen again, right? Right. Like to make it really clear, like this, there's no way in which this is acceptable and ought to be. So, you know, to me, like that's the intention behind this whole conversation, certainly not to pour salt on wounds. Yeah. Well, to me, it's like, um, I like to get to the root of an issue. So now that I've sort of accepted that that's what happened now, you know, of course, when I'm with a partner, I'm going to re-explore myself having new information, but I can't overcome that trauma unless I acknowledge that it's happened mm-hmm. and that there's been repercussions of that and that it's quite likely that I've had a limited experience of sexuality, although I've had many very pleasurable relationships and encounters and things like that. Of course, at 48, you know, you get around in the early days a little bit <laughs> and I've had some fun. No no complaints, you know, for me so far. Yeah. If you ask me how my sex life has been, I've been like 100%, a 10 out of a 10. Uh, but... Um, but now I see, oh, wow, there's actually another piece to the puzzle. So it's interesting to acknowledge that, accept that. But I'm not going to sit around and feel sorry for myself or you know, um, exaggerate the trauma. It's like, cool, so how do I overcome that and have a more rich experience, which you know, might not include having access to certain sensations um, in my anatomy, but then maybe to be able to explore a more full experience of shared energy with someone, mm-hmm. you know, so... There's, well, look, you there's, know, there's a way kinds, out of all these things. There always is. Like even women who don't have cervixes can have cervical orgasms. So the energy of that organ is still there, is still present. It's like a phantom limb. So when people come to me like, well, I don't have a cervix anymore. And I'm like, well, you can still have a cervical orgasm. It's easier to maybe activate that area if you had already had them and then the cervix was removed, but it's still possible. 
So I work in the realm of everything is possible, but ideally people don't have these things, you know, that like that lead to that. Like, why did the woman have her cervix out? Well, like what suppressed energy was stuffed into that anatomy that then became so dissociated from that we needed to actually extricate it you know, or went down the road of allopathic medicine, which is basically, oh, well, you don't really need it anyway. So we'll just take it out. It's bothering you. Like, we'll just get, we'll just get rid of it for you. Like, no, no big deal. We can do it by Tuesday, you know? And we just go, oh, like, really? Like, do I really not need it? No, you don't need it. You're done having kids or whatever, like whatever, you know, thing they come up with. And people like are quite like, yeah, I can tell. Like they're getting I don't really, but, but what else? Who, you know, they don't have another exposure to any other possibility, possibility for healing or growth. And so they go down that road. So ideally we start there with the prevention and never going down that road. But I still, for people who have gone down that road, I always feel like there's a solution. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think once you accept, okay, this is the reality, then you have a starting point at least, right? You're like, cool, I'm going to build up from there. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I am doing. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to go so far as my friend and like try to regrow it. That seems like a lot of work. I but. don't know. I've heard of that and I don't know. I, it just something about it. I just felt, I don't know. I didn't like the sound of it, but that was just more of a visceral response. It doesn't appeal to me. And, I mean, I'm just going to deal with what I've got. It's been fine. If I never knew any of this information, I would feel, I'd feel great. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, thankfully always been functional and everything's been yeah. cool yeah. in that area. And um, most men are. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a, a good thing. And it's just like, yeah, but what, I guess like if a woman didn't have a clitoris, like if for some reason with Kellogg, the circumcision caught on, but the carbolic acid on the clitoris didn't. So we could have been walking around all women without their clitoral, like the little external clitoris and women, men without their foreskin. But I don't know why it didn't catch on, but it didn't. But well, we, we could have both been in that state, right? Like at yeah. birth, both both sexes just having these things Well, if removed. population control was the goal, that would have probably achieved it. <laughs> you know? It's like, why would people have sex if you if there wasn't a climax to look forward to? Yeah. You know. Um, speaking of climax, another thing, and this is it's funny, I'm not like a shy person, but when I was making my notes, I'm like, can I really talk about this on my podcast? You know, I've not like gotten this graphic, but there are things I'm curious about. And also um, female partners that I've had are curious about. And, and also guy friends will be curious about things too. And the one is when you're talking about the different types of orgasms that are available to women. Yes. Uh, you talked about a woman having the ability to squirt across the room. And I think female ejaculation is one of those things that most guys are pretty curious about and turned on by, uh, even if they won't admit it. But in my personal experience, when that's happened, um, oftentimes women become embarrassed about it and they you know they think that they've peed or something like that and they're kind of like uh what just happened if they're not used to that happening because maybe they didn't have a guy that like knew their way around the the g area or something you know but if if you're a guy that's into sex you're gonna like research a bit hopefully and you know get your technique down and you want to please your lover i mean there's nothing better than that you know um can you help maybe I mean, not only for, well, for both sexes really to understand like what's going on there and and why perhaps this knowledge has been suppressed by quote, end quote, science that women do actually have the potential to ejaculate. I still think a lot of people don't know this. They think that a woman just lost control and like peed the bed or something. So female ejaculation is a legitimate thing. And it's been even found over, there was a scientist called graph, I think in the 1700s and he found it through like, um, what do you call it? Cutting up 
decrepit bodies. Like, it's, like, oh, wow. Uh, doing his like research. And, and then also with live ones, like he found this whole mechanism. And so this has been in, and it's been found throughout history, like in different cultures. Like there's this practice, this tribe in, in, in Africa where the, the aunties come and teach the 12-year-old girls how to spray the wall. They call it this term, kachakata or something of like spraying the wall with their ejaculate. So, and when they've tested it, they found that it isn't urine. It might have a bit of a trace of urine because some of it comes out of the urethra and most of it comes out of the vaginal canal, but it's manufactured in skeins, glands, and the periurethral ducts, which surround the vaginal canal. And also, and that's the stuff that comes out through the vagina. And then there's also thought to be some that comes out through the urethra, which is manufactured in the kidneys. So they found PSA in the liquid, which is prostate specific antigen, which is also found in prostate fluid. So there's this, you know, similarity between the prostate, the male G-spot and the female G-spot. And the, the big thing that, what happens with women, like A, for G-spot orgasms or ejaculation, what they need to have is a sense of trust and openness. Like I said, that's connected to the kidney point. So it's all about being able to let go. So if a woman feels any kind of reservation, if she's not feeling comfortable with her own body, her own sexuality, if she's not feeling like she's comfortable with her partner, which could mean A, it could be a new relationship. B, maybe it's an, an, a long-time relationship, but they had a fight at breakfast time, an argument, and they didn't resolve it. And then they go to bed and she's still holding on to that, right? She's not let that go. And so she's got that in place that creates a blockage. And then of course there's yes, because when you get to feeling like you're about to ejaculate, it feels like you're going to pee. So most women are going to stop that process. They're going to contract instead of like bearing down the way that you need to. And then they, the whole thing stops and then they just think, oh, I can't ejaculate or it didn't happen. Or what most women buy into is, oh, I'm just one of those women who can't ejaculate because that's the dominant vernacular out there is, oh, some women can and some women can't, which is really the refrain of people who just don't know any better, right? Or the, you know, a scientist decides that he wants to prove that women can't have orgasms and so tries to create a study. You know, like who does that? What guy, like whose wife is clearly the most underfucked woman on the planet goes to, you know, I'm going to have this study that says women don't have orgasms. Like, so anyway, so yes, like when you're having that experience and you really get into it, then you need to let go. So a good thing to do is to prepare, like have towels and blankets laid down on the bed or play in the bathtub or the shower, but someplace where you don't feel inhibited that if you do leave water all over the place, that that's okay. And an old, an ex-partner of mine, his partner used to just ejaculate in buckets and it would become like a bone of contention with them because she'd want to have an ejaculation and and that he didn't want to clean up like it could be like masses of laundry and like one time they were out camping and she came in the tent like ejaculated all over the tent and so they had this argument because you know like the tent's all like everything's all wet like <laughs> soggy that is freaking hilarious yeah yeah, but she, you know, and some women produce a lot of fluid and some women a little bit, but every woman can. And so the key is really feeling open and trusting and relaxing. And then when that feeling comes, going with it and not suppressing it. It's not urine. It's not. And even if it was like, whatever. Who cares? Right? Yeah. I mean, all's exactly. fair in, in love and sex. Exactly. <laughs> what about women having orgasms from anal sex or oral sex and energetic orgasms, these other types. So the woman's having 
she's being penetrated anally and is she giving oral sex or receiving oral sex? Giving. Giving. Yeah. Yeah. So like a throat gasm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They were onto it in that old movie, Deep Throat. That's the first porn I ever saw, like 1978 on a Betamax, Deep Throat. Wow. I was like, I got to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So, So they're all possible. I mean, the ass is like, that's very similar to a cervical orgasm, like this very deep, transcendent, otherworldly, cataclysmic orgasm that really is this point of vulnerability. Like to have an anal orgasm or a cervical orgasm, the woman really has to be open, like heart open and really actually feel love for her partner. Like that's not the kind of orgasm that's going to happen in casual sex or when a couple's not getting along very well or even just temporarily having some blockage in the space. It's like a barometer. Orgasms are barometers for the connection in the woman and the couple. And so the throat is also this beautiful, beautiful place to have orgasms from, like for a woman to really deep throat and learn how to accept a cock far down her throat is really therapeutic. I've often said the best way to find your voice is to have a good cock in your throat. It's the throat chakra, right? Self-expression. Oh my God, I never thought about that. Self-expression. And so if a woman's feeling mute and sort of shy, it's like get some cock down there on a regular basis and that will open up the throat. Apparently when animals hibernate or certain animals like reptiles, they curl their tongue around in the throat and it hits this point that's supposed to create this energetic interface in the system so that the hibernation is actually kind of this activation, right? That they're not just shutting down, they're activating something. And so getting the throat, the cock down there is actually this activation process for the throat. So women can have full on orgasms through that as well. That's interesting. That reminds me of, uh, you know, in Kundalini yoga, there's of course a lot of movement of energy around your body and touching different parts and the ways that you breathe and all that. And there's always um, certain Kriya that have an emphasis on um, where your tongue is in your mouth, you know, like putting your, pressing your tongue on the roof of your mouth or when you do the hot, harder, harder, you know, there's all these different things like harder, that. Harder, harder, harder. <laughs> yeah, harder, harder, harder. <laughs> Never thought of that. It's funny. But that's, that's interesting. I think a lot of us don't realize that there are all these nerves on the interior of our body and all the different orifices, right? And that they all activate certain energies and things like that. It's fascinating. Yes. And energy orgasms are very similar to cervical orgasms. Like energy orgasms, I'd say happen when you've just become so aware of your body and your sexuality and the flow of your sexual energy that you can just call upon these orgasms at will. So like I could have a cervical orgasm or an energetic orgasm from like hearing my partner's voice or having my elbow touched or just think myself to orgasm because all of these neural pathways have been opened up and activated. So then they don't require the same kind of like touch the knee to have a knee-gasm or touch the you know clitoris to have a clitoral orgasm. You just have to tune into them within yourself and then you can bring those experiences on. Oh, you just reminded me of something. I forgot about another um, episode I did on sex was with Jaya and it was a live recording in front of an audience and she had her partner there and she had an energetic orgasm on the show. So we'll put it in the show notes, you guys. I don't remember the episode number, but yeah, it was, it was quite something. And her partner, you know, he, he didn't touch her. He just knew how to do the things and she full on like busted uh, on probably the microphones that we're using right now. I mean, not on them, but while recording with them. Right. And you can do that on your own too. Like you can self think it or feel it. Yes. Into being, you don't need the other person to be actively engaged. So you talk about um, 
these deeper experiences of sexuality in the healing sense, and as we were talking about earlier with the spiritual connection, it seems to me that based on my experience and based on your teaching is that to really have a deeper full expression of sexuality, there needs to be a container of a relationship that contains a really high degree of trust to be able to create the intimacy that's necessary in order to have these ecstatic experiences, right? I agree. Yeah. And I, I think that that's something that um, is another thing in our culture that's misrepresented that the hottest sex is like that fast, cheap, junk food sex. And that that's the most fun, especially I think for guys. And when we're younger, I mean, that's like what you're looking for. Once you have a girlfriend for a while, you're kind of like, oh my God, can I be with someone new? I mean, I'm talking about a guy that's not grown into his own maturity and masculinity, um, which you know is not that dependent on age, of course. But um how you know how does that work of like how do you create the safety and the intimacy within a relationship to start to explore these things and how are these things communicated within a partnership where you you know don't feel shame about making a request or exploring each other in a way that there might be shame around or something like that I think you need to have that conversation from the outset, like at the beginning of a relationship or if you're in the midst of a relationship and you decide that you want to change and create more of that open communication together is that that becomes a baseline. Like we want to have, we discuss this architecture of our relationship as being this open, communicating, everything gets spoken. We don't hide things from each other. Radical honesty is a value. And that we both consider the relationship to be a vessel for growth and evolution. So to me, like people who say, oh, you know, whatever, you're having sex with the same person for 20 years. Well, that just means that you guys aren't growing because if you're growing, you're not the same person a year later or 15 years later or 20 years later. So if you're committed to stagnancy, then yes, that would be your experience. But if you're committed to growth, then you're naturally going to be always changing into new versions of yourselves. And so there's this agreement to use the relationship as a vessel for transformation. And so all of your work together comes out of that, right? Like there's me, there's you, and then there's the entity of the relationship itself. And what do all all three of us need to constantly grow and develop, right? Like what do I need to feel to feel fulfilled and like I'm growing into my life and you and the relationship itself. And when all of those things are constantly being nurtured, then the relationship keeps growing. And you know that we are designed, our intimate relationship is the place where we are going to be triggered. You know, our childhood wounds, our family wounds, our ancestral wounds, all of these things are going to come out. And this is the most amazing container within which to heal. If we're conscious of that, if we know that when we act out or we do something unconsciously, that we can call each other out on that with love, bring illumination to it and then heal it. And this is where especially the power of sexual energy becomes so much into place because if you have a very deep emotional connection and a very deep sexual connection, you can move through this stuff so quickly, like at light speed, quantum leap kind of speed. But you have to have that overarching agreement that our relationship is built for this. This is how we use it as a container for growth In versus most people have more unconscious unspoken tacit agreements in their relationships. And then they can't really navigate rough waters because you're not really allowed to have them, right? It's a mistake almost if you had had rough waters rather than using them as an opportunity to highlight where we've got some kind of past thing. You know, uh, it's a Kriya is like a, 
like a fault, kind of like a like a karmic. Well, a, a mo- you know, in the context I was using it earlier, a movement. It's different, but there is something I mean, I've just heard it spoken about as sort of like this disturbance, like that you've brought into this lifetime, right? Like our our karmas, whatever that mm-hmm, we work mm-hmm. out. Like if you believe that perspective that we're here to do that deeper spiritual work, then your intimate relationship is one of the most powerful vehicles that you have to do that when you're both conscious and you have this agreement to use it that way. That's beautiful. I love everything you just said. I'm going to listen back to that like five times. That's <laughs> really good. Very well articulated. And I, I totally agree with your perspective there. Yeah. Um, and that sort of, I think, probably leads me to my next question, if not negates it, in terms of creating that true vulnerability and intimacy in a relationship. Uh, it seems to me, based on my experience, that if you're in a relationship where there's monogamy, uh, and that you've really committed to focusing on each other rather than having any distractions of other people in the relationship, that that would also be maybe required, would you say? I think so. I mean, uh, to me, I talk about conscious monogamy, which is that you consciously agree to commit your emotional and sexual resources to this person. And what does that look like? Like everything I just described, like using the relationship as a vessel for growth. But most people have unconscious pseudo-monogamy, which to me, it's not even monogamy. Like they don't even have a conscious agreement of what their relationship is. They might have a loose idea, we don't fuck other people. But that's not really, like that's a like a, not what we don't do versus what do we actually do? What does our relationship mm. actually do with each other? So most people who talk about how monogamy doesn't work, they don't actually, no one has it. Very few people on the planet have monogamy or what I would call a conscious monogamous functional relationship. Most people don't. They have some kind of diluted version of pseudo monogamy. And of course, I agree with them. It doesn't work. Having an unconscious relationship does not work. Totally agree with that. But people who have a conscious monogamous relationship, yes, that works. But very few people have that. Very few people even know what it is or how you would get there. And then in that scenario, you don't, like, I think you just go deeper and deeper and deeper with each other. And the most of the people, like every couple I've ever, and I, you know, explored polyamorous communities for a while. And I've had friends who were in, you know, semi-long-term polyamorous relationships. And if you scratch the surface, there's always unresolved wounds under there. They were the usually the impetus for the, okay, let's go sleep with other people in this relationship where it came out of something that they got stuck with and they couldn't figure out how to get past. And then like, I, there could be exceptions and it's like not, you know, a whole thing I want to have to debate people over. Yeah, yeah. It's more like, I'll just maybe stick with my view. Like the, the conscious yeah. monogamy is really what can be deep and fulfilling when it's actually cultivated to be that rather than just the default setting that most people have. Yeah, I mean, with all of this stuff, I mean, there's uh, the implication that this is just your point of view and based sure. on your experience and everything I share from my point of view on the show and that of my guests. I mean, it's like, doesn't mean that's the case for everyone. I have... Um, some friends and people that I've interviewed that have multiple partners and they're using it as a vehicle to grow and like bring out the shadow and shit does not appeal to me at all. If it works for them, that's great. I'm not telling them what to do, but yeah. I'm curious about their perspective. Yeah. Uh, to me, the difference, in, and I like the distinction there of the conscious monogamy versus just like, hey, let's handshake and say we're not going to be sexual with other people. Like there's light years yeah. of difference between those two. And the thought that came to mind was almost like... <laughs> In a relationship where you don't have that 
shared goal of using the relationship as a third entity for growth, as a, as a tool and resource for growth while you're individually growing. In a relationship where you don't have that, then it's more of a negotiation. Like, okay, are we exclusive now? Okay, cool. We're done with that. Now I can at least rest assured that you're not going to abandon me, right? But there's not a true surrender into the depth of the relationship. There's more of a compliance where you're like, all right, in order for me to have that, I got to give up that. Yeah. At least from a male perspective, that's kind of how it totally. is, you know? Yeah. And that's where you get, oh, the old ball and chain. Oh, you're getting engaged. Ah, oh, sucker, she got you. You know, that yeah, kind of mentality. Absolutely. It's a compliance, not a surrender. Whereas if if there's, you know, the, the, the shared, I guess the shared core value of growth and evolution together then it's not like you're giving up anything. You're like, exactly. to me, like that's not yeah. at this stage of my life. I mean, it took, you know, I'm 48. It took me a while to get here. Trust me. Any of my friends listening, they're like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not, you know, haven't always been this way, but definitely now, I mean, the idea of being with one person is there's no sacrifice at all. Like I could give a shit about like being with multiple partners or having quote unquote freedom or something like that. Because after some time, what I discovered was that my, um, my view of what freedom was was very limited. You know, freedom to behave how you want to behave is not true freedom. It's like freedom to love with reckless abandon and to go all in and truly surrender to the experience. That's freedom. There's no breaks. So it's like there, it requires no discipline or no sacrifice to commit to that one person because you're committing to something that's so much bigger than like you know, where you get to put your dick. Right. And I love how you said that. And that's, in my view, where the magic happens. When people actually do that, that's where you create that superpower. Like I said, where you become this supercharged entity together, where you actually, your whole life changes. Like you, everything becomes easier. Like you make more, like... <laughs> you make more money, you become more successful in your career, you become more socially, like whatever, like everything, your star just burns brighter. And I'm just saying like the whole make more money thing is like when your sexual energy is really charged up and being utilized, you, you attract things like you're, you're operating on all cylinders. And so you attract and radiate all of this energy and things come to you. You magnetize them into your life in this completely not effort way. Like you're not exerting, I'm going to work really hard and get this. You don't have to do that. You just have to fuck really well and love really hard and well. And that is what brings it into your space. I love that. And that's surrendered action. Yes. You know? Yeah. Because a lot of people I think have a view that, they, that some people bristle against the idea of surrender because they feel like they're not going to get what they want because wanting it and like, you know, striving to get whatever the thing is is the antithesis of surrender. But in surrender is that yin of allowing and openness, right? Where whatever it is, monetary or other, other types of success or attainment of a goal actually does come to you when you become magnetic like that. Really totally cool perspective. Well, that's the feminine way of achieving things in the world is that radiating a certain mm. kind of energy and magnetizing things to you where we're all conditioned to get things done from this very masculine perspective of like go out and work really hard and slog and get it done. And there's, you know, that's fine. But women actually they're in their element and we can all, you know, oscillate between activating our masculine and feminine qualities. But, you know, their power is actually in that kind of work in like radiating filling themselves up and radiating things and receiving them to them. That's the feminine way of getting things done where we've all really come from the masculine way totally. of getting things done. And for women, if they really live in that place, they get burnt out very quickly because it's not their natural home and of how to achieve. Totally. And, and manifesting from, I always 
try and share this idea with women that manifesting from that feminine energy is a guaranteed way to get the masculine to serve you. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yes. uh, you know, at the drop of a hat, like, what do you need? You know, the feminine energy is so powerful and magnetic that men will go build buildings and bridges yeah. and airplanes and all yes. kinds of things for that. Yeah. In service of that. Exactly. Rather than go build me my castle. Yeah. It's just like, you know, radiating that energy. Yeah. And yes, I totally agree with that. It evokes that masculine energy to then serve. It does. And it evokes the, I think the highest, uh, most honorable part of a man in his masculine is brought out by that feminine energy. Yeah. In my experience. I totally agree. And it's such a beautiful process. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I know that you recommend, you know, within the container of a relationship where they're describing, where you're talking about this higher sense of love uh, beyond the high school romantic attachment turned on kind of love, but the big love, uh, for lack of a better term, is that you recommend in a relationship that people have sex a lot, like three, four times a week you're having sex if you want a real relationship that's going to last, that's passionate. And when I hear that, it sounds good on the surface, but then I think, dude, if I'm in a relationship and I'm ejaculating four times a week, I'm going to really be depleted in energy. And that wouldn't have been the case when I was 28 versus 48. Um, and that brings to mind my my next area of interest, which is this sort of unicorn slash Bigfoot idea of having an orgasm without ejaculating. Is the only, I've hear guys talk about it, but I'm like, really, dude? Like, seriously, can you really, really do that? And when I've pressed guys that claim, they're like, well, kind of. I mean, it's sort of like the orgasm. It's not as powerful. And I'm like, no, I'm talking about like a full-on orgasm where you're just like, eh, and nothing comes out, but you you came. And you're telling me that this is in fact possible. Yeah. So it's in my list of guarantees. It's not Bigfoot. No, it's okay. in my list of guarantees. Like the, I mean, the G spot is like the Loch Ness monster as well. Like there's all these things out there, but no, you can have even better, more powerful, more pleasurable, more intense orgasms without ejaculation. And yes, like this is ideal for men to be recirculating their sexual energy because men do lose typically a lot of energy through their ejaculation. And as you say, usually like it doesn't seem as obvious when you're younger because you've just got that much more energy. But as you get older, we have to be aware or like for men, they usually feel it more. So absolutely. This is cultivated just through like even simple breathing practices that men can learn how to do this. And with the intention and the commitment, right? Like to believe, like if you're hearing this feedback that A, it's really difficult or B, it's not even that worth that, not that worth it, then maybe you won't be that motivated, but I'm saying it can be even better and it's not that hard and every man can. Cool. So I'm going to be signing up for your course on that. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, you know, it's one of those things that, as I said, is definitely something that sounds good. And then you try to do it. And I guess without proper training or, you know, having a way to do it, I mean, I think um, it's relatively easy to do if you do it manually. You know, you have the plumbing and you have an awareness of how the plumbing works and you can r- literally cut off the flow. And I've done that and I've noticed that I don't get like tired or depleted. And I don't seem to lose testosterone, um, which is, I sense what's going on when a guy ejaculates is their testosterone tanks. And then you feel, mm, I don't know, it's like kind of like irritable and like tired and moody. You don't feel like your badass conquer the world self when you or subjectively speaking, when uh, too much ejaculation is going on. So you want that connection and you want that positive experience with the partner, but you like, ah, oh, man, but there's going to be a price to pay 
which is I'm going to be depleted of my creative energy. No, there doesn't have to be a price. The price can be like, I. the barometer I use is that after you have sex, you want to feel like you want to run a marathon because you actually got more energy from having sex. Like I talk about the idea of harvesting energy from your sexual encounters, whether it's solo or with your partner, that the barometer is, do you feel rejuvenated, energized and transformed and deeply pleasured after your sexual experience. And if you don't, then you're doing it wrong. Mm. And that's not a judgment as to say that there is a way to gain energy and there's a way that you lose energy. And most people lose energy. Like the cliche of guys passing out after sex is a cliche for a reason because it's what generally happens because they've lost a lot of energy. And so the way that I teach people is to gain energy. Like again, like we come back to this ascension idea. It's not just about busting one out to relieve stress or to put you to sleep. It's about using your sexual encounters, again, solo or with your partner to elevate both your state of consciousness and your energy levels to actually feel like when I teach guys how to do this and then they do it and they feel like they want to go to the gym. I'm not exaggerating about a marathon. Like that's really the barometer. You feel like you want to go out and do things rather than you want to have a nap. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know that I've had that experience much. What about um, herbs and supplements and things like that that help men and or women with their um, desire level, pleasure level? You know anything about that? I do, but I guess, you know, my view is that most of that work is internal work. And so like, say if someone comes to me with a low libido, then I would look at, okay, let's give you an example. Like a friend of mine was in a relationship that initially the first couple of years, great sex, lots of sex, countertops, whatever. Five years later, she's like, oh, I have a low libido. I just don't really feel like it anymore. And then they're fighting all the time. They're like, there's the state of their relationship is not really positive. And she doesn't associate the fact that she has a low libido with the state of her relationship. She thinks that these are independent factors and that the relate that the libido is the cause and the relationship is the effect. When really the relationship and the state of it is the cause and her libido is then the effect. So one, she's, you know, the 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 you know, the cause versus effect. And we tend to think of physical ailments being the result of something random. So there are herbs that people can take, you know, like ginseng is a great one for men. Um, Saffron is a really good one for both men and women, but I wouldn't do like that won't have much of an impact unless they are actually doing the inner work of figuring out what's going on. So you know, like I can say like names of herbs, but it won't have, you know, if people don't really get to the bottom of the root cause, they don't have much of an impact. It's still a Band-Aid in other words. Yeah. Even if it's a better Band-Aid than an allopathic remedy, it's still a Band-Aid unless they're concurrently doing the work. Then yes, it'll give them a vital boost in their process and kickstart some things back into gear, especially let's say if a woman has come off of hormonal birth control or a man has been on antidepressants, like people who've come from that territory, then they need to restart their hormonal flow again. But for a neurotransmitter flow, but for, um, but, and, you know, so that's a good way to kickstart it. But ultimately, if they don't do the inner work, it's not going to gel. I like it. Yeah, I get to the root cause. My last question before I wrap it up, wrap it up is, uh, and we'll, maybe answer quickly because I want to give you a chance to send people to your websites and stuff. Um, it seems like we're on the same page with how, again, not from a moral point of view, but how destructive pornography is. And I'm just going to say mostly for men, because I think men consume probably a lot more than women do, not exclusively, but more, I'd say. Um, 
What's your take on porn uh, in the context of, let's say, a guy who's in a filling relationship, he wants to work on how is porn going to undermine his sexual health or the health of the relationship? It comes down to that delineation of what's junk food versus gourmet food, right? And to me, like porn induced masturbation would be pretty much like the number one expression of junk food sex. And again, no judgment. It's just an energetic thing, right? Like this is the lowest common denominator and it's not doing anything to really build up the psyche or the persona, the energy of the spirit of the person. It's just a way to bust out an orgasm or an ejaculation, you know, like the lowest form of it. So I don't see that it brings anything positive to the person, both like spiritually energetic, but even hormonally neurotransmitter wise, we know that that's very depleting. So I don't see it as having a positive role really ever. Yeah, I agree. Bad stuff. I interviewed John Gray and he enlightened me um, on it, which really helped me eventually just go, yeah, I don't ever want to do it. And I haven't in a long time. Um, But he talked about the hormonal cascade of um, dopamine, how when you're getting aroused, like you're building building more dopamine and more dopamine. And then when you finally have an orgasm, you have this flood of dopamine. And when you're with a partner, even a partner you don't care about, it's buffered by norepinephrine and oxytocin. And so even though you're having this huge flood of dopamine, you don't get as depleted and weirded right, out and right. neurotransmitter and hormonally because you're still doing something quote unquote natural, right? Because we've been right. designed yeah. to be back in balance after you come. And he said, when you do it by yourself, you don't produce the norepinephrine or the oxytocin because you're alone. And so you get this huge flood of dopamine. And that's why pornography is so addictive because it does the same thing to you that cocaine and crystal meth do. And I was like, oh my God, that's why you feel so depressed and weird and self-conscious. And like, to me, porn is just the worst. Like it makes me feel so weird afterward. It's amazing during, don't get me wrong. I love porn just like a lot of guys do. But the price is just not worth it at all. So then afterward, you go into Starbucks and you're all like weird. <laughs> Ashamed. Yeah, you like... feel like creepy and shamed out. I'm like, I, and again, it's not a moral thing. It took me yeah. a while to crack the code on this because I'm like, yeah. I have nothing against. I'm very open. Like sure. whatever people want to do, yeah. I, I don't have any sort of judgment on it. But I'm like, why? I know there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not judging myself. But John Gray really put that last piece in there um, that really helped me. Oh, okay. That's why. It's just one more reason. Like, why is that even necessary? Why not just, you know, guys, save yourself for a great partner and enjoy your life more. Well, you can self-pleasure without... It's harder and you have to kind of break that habit, but you can self-pleasure without porn. You can work on your breathing and recirculating that energy. Like I use masturbation bakes masturbation breaks as coffee breaks. Like I don't drink coffee, I do orgasms. And I I go and I, you know, whatever, take 15 minutes, half an hour, I stimulate myself, I breathe and then I go back to work. And I may or may not have the orgasm. It's more about harvesting that energy. And so that's what I teach women and men to do. Again, if you're solo, you don't have to forego sex. You can be very well fucked even as a single person. And you ought to be because that's your life force creative energy. You ought to be in touch with that. And the more that you're really wearing it and radiating it and owning it, that you'll attract a high quality person into your space. But if you're you know, radiating porn-induced ejaculations, then you're going to be vibrating at a much lower level and bring in somebody who's also vibrating at a lower level. I bet that there's a connection between the circumcision piece and the proliferation of pornography in our culture. Because you're so much less, you're desensitized from the yeah. trauma of yeah. that surgery. And so you need like hyper stimulation and that 
dopamine to get aroused. Whereas like if you were intact, I'm imagining probably just feels pretty good. Yeah. To just touch yourself. As a guy, it doesn't really feel that great to touch yourself unless there's something that's like super hardcore getting you, you know, like that hyper arousal state. Right. I bet there's a connection. Okay. I'll look into that later. So uh, in closing, I've got my final question. And that is, you've taught me a bunch today. You've taught the audience so many valuable nuggets of wisdom. Uh, Who have been three teachers or teachings in your life or career that you might point our listeners to go learn from as well? Self, self and self, nature. Okay. I'm going to say nature Mm -hmm. as a teacher, like the ocean as a teacher, the forest as a teacher, and yourself. Like I, the reason I hesitate is I don't actually take in a lot of other people's stuff these days. Like I'm really of the mind that I have the answers within. And I spend a lot more time in nature. Like I go surfing every day where I'm close to the ocean. I get into the jungle or the forest with this idea that that is my teacher. Like the elements, the rhythms in nature, they also recalibrate me. So I love that. That might answers. be my favorite answer so far Aww. out of 190 or so times of asking a human being that. That's beautiful. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, where can people find you and your various programs and things like that? I, I know by the time this comes out, I think you're going to be in the middle of a, a launch. So at that time, I'll provide the specific information. But just in general, you know, your website, social media, where people can find you, the different types of things that you offer. Right. So I'm at kimanami.com and that's where I house the bulk of all of my online programs. So I've got programs for women, couples, men, vaginas, and pregnant mamas. And that's all there. These like immersions, eight work programs that I run through my members portal on my website. Those are all up there. And then I have a shop called Anami Alchemia and that has a bunch of different products from couture dildos to crystal elixirs and they're going to be herbal um, tinctures as well for aphrodisiac type libido boosting supplements. And then I have a YouTube channel. I have an Instagram page. My Facebook page, I feel like I've kind of written off is just like kind of gone down that road. And I'm aiming to start a podcast in the new year as well. So it might be out by the time that you are, that this releases. Great, great. You should. You're such a great orator. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be listening into that. There's so much more to learn now. Even with all my questions, my three pages of questions, I know when you walk out of here and be like, ah, damn, what about this? What about that? So that's great. We'll definitely check that out. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. And uh, thank you for having such a fun and titillating conversation. Of my pleasure. It was so much fun. You're a great interviewer. Thanks, Kim. Are your cheeks red right now after listening to that episode? I I hope they are a little bit. You know, my goal is with the show uh, to never offend, but always to inspire and, you know, get you thinking. I I think that it's fun to approach topics like this. And trust me when I say there's going to be plenty more like this in 2019. I'm I'm going off the rails a little bit here. I'm, I'm going to be moving somewhat away from the health stuff and a little bit more into lifestyle, uh, philosophy, psychology, spirituality, and the like, because that's just what I'm sort of into now. And I think um, there's been enough said um, largely about the health stuff, although I do make new discoveries uh, when it comes to practices, products, gizmos, technologies, etc. And I will definitely be reporting uh, on anything new that I find, but I'm really enjoying these types of conversations that are a little more controversial, a little more thought provoking, and I think have perhaps a greater impact on our life than what's the best paleo granola. You know what I'm saying? 
So you can look forward to more of this from yours truly. And I'd also like to give some more support to our guest, Kim, because I just love to support guests that come on the show. It's a huge service to me and to all of the listeners. So let's get over to kimanami.com forward slash Luke. Check out her course, Vaginal Kung Fu. Take her quiz over there if you're a lady. And um, I don't know, maybe even if you're a man, you know, check it out. You never know. <laughs> That's kimanami.com forward slash Luke. Maybe I'll go take the quiz and see what I find. I just don't know how I'll answer the questions about my labia because I don't think I have those. Anywho, let's thank this week's sponsors. My friends over at Juve. I mean, come on. Every single day, you guys, I'm using my Juve red light. I'm looking at it right now. I swear to God, as I cut this and I used it this morning. I used my um, X3 little workout system from um, another upcoming guest, John Jaquish. It's these rubber band things with an Olympic bar. It's insane. I've been using it since I recorded with him maybe two weeks ago. And I'm not the kind of guy that like cares about getting ripped, um, but I kind of am. It's really weird. And so what I use the Jew for is to recover from these little mini super hardcore 10 minute workouts that I do with the X3 bar. Anyway, you're going to learn about the X3 bar later. Most important thing here is that you check out Juve and here's how you do it. You go to J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. That's Juve.com and you can get down with some photo biomodulation. That is to say red light therapy. I've not been sore once since I've been on this hardcore uh, workout routine. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I stand in front of the Juve while I do it and before and after I do it. That's how I start my morning and it gets you lit. That's Juve.com forward slash Luke. Speaking of recovery, next up, we've got Cured Nutrition. You can go to curednutrition.com forward slash the lifestylist. Use the code the lifestylist to get 10% off the most badass CBD foods and supplements on the planet. That's curednutrition.com forward slash the lifestylist. So if you want to work out, uh, do the X3 bar in front of your juve and then go pound a bunch of cured nutrition CBD products and you're going to be living the dream. And if you want to get rich, make money and manifest, here's what you do next. You go to 2bmagnetic.com forward slash Luke and use the code Luke to save 10% off Lacey Phillips, who's been on the show twice and her amazing course. That's 2bmagnetic.com forward slash Luke. I got to get my ass logged back in there actually now that I'm reading this plug because I started that um, course and was really benefiting from it. And I was getting fat checks in the mail. And then I was like, oh, cool, it's working now. I need, I can stop doing the course. No, okay, I'm speaking to myself in the mic here. Luke, get back into Lacey Phillips' course to be magnetic.com forward slash Luke. Very cool stuff, very affordable also. You know, some online courses are a few hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars. If you want to take an online course from me at School of Style, if you want to be a fashion stylist, our courses um, run anywhere from... Now, seven to a thousand to two thousand dollars, and to uh, be magnetic.com courses are very affordable and they really work. If you want to manifest more riches in your life, that's how you do it. And um, speaking of online courses, I do have something I'm working on that's Biohack My Travel, the jet lag solution. The reason that I'm creating this course is because out of all the health and biohacking stuff I've been into for the past 22 years, at the time of this recording at least. Nothing has been more important to me than figuring out how to make travel suck less. When I fly, when I go on long drives, on road trips, stay in hotels, stay in strange Airbnbs, I just get freaking tweaked. And so I've put a lot of time and energy into fixing it for myself. In fact, I put so much energy into it that I'm like, oh, I'm going to start making some videos. I started making some videos and the videos were too good just to give away for free on YouTube. And there's too many of them. 
There's like a hundred different travel hacks that I do or something. It's ridiculous. So if you want to sign up for the wait list for my course, you can go to lukestory.com forward slash travel. Or you can text biohack my travel to the number 44222 and get on my wait list. So on any US phone, text this word, all one word, biohack my travel to the number 44222. I'll be talking a lot about that course as it gets uh, nearer to its release, but I just want to give you a heads up uh, for two reasons. I want you to get excited about it and I want to make my ass finish it, <laughs> to be honest. I'm like, this is the first week I'm announcing it on my show. And I thought, Luke, this is me talking to myself because that's what I do a lot of the time. Luke, you can do this, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, seriously, though, I'm like, Luke, talk about your online course, Biohack My Travel, the jet lag solution on the show. That way you'll be stuck and have to do it. And that's kind of how I incentivize myself sometimes. I just put myself out there. I commit to other people and then I can't flake out. So I'm committing to you to finish this damn course. It's quite an undertaking. It's going to deliver an immense amount of value, though. That's the thing. I don't know what the price is going to be, but it's going to be priced like 10x lower than it should or could be. Because it's my first one and I want to over-deliver. It's going to be like next to free. So I'm super excited about that. I'm super excited about 2019. I have so many good things going on in my life. I have so many great friends and just there is so much love around in my life right now. My friend David Solomini went through this crazy surgery. He survived. It was a 13-hour surgery. I'm going to post the photos on Instagram um, soon. He said I could. I just I haven't figured out a tactful way to do it. Like the surgery pictures, you guys. If you've ever seen the movie Alien... A guy named Alien came out of homeboy's stomach. He had he had a 40-pound tumor in his abdomen. And I have the photos to prove it. And homeboy is alive and well. So David Solomini, my dear friend, if you ever hear this, man, I love you so much. And you have so much courage and strength. I don't know. I might have jumped off a building <laughs> going through what he's been through. So my good friend is alive and kicking. He's on the mend. We've got him on the amp coil, on the power medic lasers. He's using the juve every day. We've got him on the vital reaction um, hydrogen inhaler. Every goddamn supplement known to man. Uh, and it's just amazing to see someone who's been in really, really bad shape. You know, and he had to go through Western medicine. I mean, he did not do surgery with a shaman, folks. He did it at Cedar sinai with some highly trained professional doctors. And you know what? God bless them. I know I talk shit about Western medicine a lot, but there is a time and place for it. Um, and that was definitely the time and the place. So those doctors did a bang up job and um, and now he's on the med, but now we're taking over. We're getting him off the meds. We've got him on some uh, Kratom, or as people like to call it, Kratom, which is a great natural painkiller and doing all kinds of cool stuff. So it's really um, it's just a great year. You know, there was that was one I was kind of worried about. My mom's working on her Lyme disease, getting some good results with the amp coil and there's healing all around, folks. Just went to Santa Fe, New Mexico on a lovely trip. Um, just had a great time uh, playing out in the snow and doing hot springs and all that stuff. Um, as At the time of this recording, I'm about to go to Rhythmia in Costa Rica. Like a whole week-long luxury resort, plant medicine, whole excursion that's just going to be insane. So there's good things afoot. And um, more than anything, as we close here, if you're still listening... Now, only, you know, by the way, only the diehard diehards listen to the end of the show. I mean, I don't think I even listen to the end of many shows. Actually, you know what? I don't think any podcasters even actually ramble on like this after their show, but it's a celebration of a great episode with Kim and Ami, and I always feel compelled to just kind of check in and thank our sponsors and thank the guests. And more than anything, from the deepest pit of my formerly black heart, I thank you, the listener, for tuning into this show. 
And please do me, your friends, your loved ones, your family a favor and share this episode with them uh, as long as they're over 18. Peace out. I'm Luke Story of the Lifestylist Podcast. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net. 